0: Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be finishing our series in the letter of 1 Peter this morning by looking at verses 8 through 14. I'm a little sad that we're actually finishing this letter. I texted Pastor Scott last night and just said, is it okay to be sad? He said, yeah, it's okay. You love God's Word. You love Peter. Um, If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one of the the Bibles in the backs of the pews and turn to page 955. All right, well, how many of you like nature shows like Planet Earth? Raise your hands. Wow, not many of you. How many of you go to YouTube and watch Animals in the Wild? Okay, a little bit more. One of the most popular episodes or scenes in these shows is when lions go on the hunt both terrifying and amazing to watch. You have this gigantic predator that goes into stealth mode and hides in the tall grass and stalks its prey. And these shows or these videos on YouTube have these amazing views of the whole process. The lion prowling in the tall, dark grass. The gazelle grazing and then looking up, trying to see if it's in danger or not. Then going back to eat, the lion gets closer, and then the lion jumps out and the chase is on. I always find myself rooting for the gazelle. They often don't win. But the Bible tells us that there is one who is like a lion who prowls around seeking to devour us. That terrifying moment when the lion is creeping up to catch its prey off guard is happening to us on a daily basis. And we often have no idea. We're clueless. We're clueless that this beast is seeking to destroy us. And while this is a terrifying thought, we are also told that God gives us the ability to resist him by standing in the grace that God supplies. Let's look at our text, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Peter writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus... Our Father, we give you thanks for your word. It confronts us in our sin, in our need, in our weakness, and yet it directs us to the solution, to the answer, to the good news of grace in Christ Jesus. So we pray that you would remind us again of your grace as we look at your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is it. We've made it to the end of the first letter by Peter. And as we look back on all Peter has said, we should be reminded of some major points that he makes throughout the letter. We've seen our gospel hope. We've seen what Christ has done, what he has accomplished and given to those who believe in him, we have seen our great adoption into God's family. We've seen this call to be holy, to resist sin according to what God commands, or to live what, to according to what God commands, and to live as his children, to live as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We've been called to a life of submission to the authority that God has placed in our lives over the world, over our family, and in the church. We've been called to live a life of humility and to live in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ, loving one another and showing hospitality. And one of the most repeated themes throughout this letter is that as we live for God in this world, we will face various types of trials. Christians will suffer in this life. We will feel like exiles and strangers in this world because it will not always align with what we believe. People will persecute us because of our love for Jesus. Our lives will be filled with hardships and difficulty. But we also know that our suffering and trials have a purpose. The afflictions that we face are not pointless, but the very things that God uses to refine us and to make us more dependent on Him. And so we concluded last week with a reminder that in the midst of suffering, We are to humble ourselves before the Lord and cast all our anxieties on Him who cares for us. And while we are to throw all our burdens on the Lord, this does not mean that we are passive in our suffering. In our passage today, Peter calls us to be alert, to resist, to stand firm. So the main point this morning, what I hope you see in the text, is that God's grace enables the Christian to endure suffering. Stand firm in it. God's grace enables the Christian to endure suffering. Stand firm in it. This is what Peter tells us that his letter is about. The true grace of God. The grace of God consists of what he has done for believers This grace gives his people the ability to stand firm in the storms of life and even against our ancient foe. Peter starts off by giving us some instructions. Take a look at verse 8. He tells us to be sober-minded and watchful. Why are we to be sober-minded and watchful? Because we have an enemy Peter writes, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is the first time that the devil is mentioned in this letter. And so up until this point, the hostility and the persecution that these Christians were facing was attributed to their non-Christian neighbors. But now Peter is drawing back the curtain allowing us to see that there is a spiritual battle raging on all around us. The word of God teaches us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against great unseen spiritual enemies. And Peter introduces us to our primary enemy. The real enemy is not your non-Christian neighbor, but the devil himself. The devil stands behind all the evil intentions of those who come after us. And we need to be on alert because he seeks to devour us. His desire is that we deny Jesus. He desires to destroy our faith. And the two errors that Christians make in talking about Satan are that we either underestimate his power Or that we're so obsessed that we see a demon behind every small thing. We either talk about Satan too much, making him the cause of every bad thing in our lives. Or we don't even believe he exists. Some of us think that he's this made-up cartoon character. This makes us really susceptible to falling for his traps. The Bible teaches us that we have a real enemy. He does exist. And it's important for Christians to understand who he is and how to fight him. Most of us know that Satan is God's enemy, right? There's this battle between God and Satan, but Peter here calls the devil our adversary, He is our enemy since we are the children of God. He can appear as an angel of light. He can deceive us into thinking that he's on our side. And so it's very important for us to stay sober-minded and alert because he stands against us and seeks to destroy us. The word devil means accuser. While he's lurking in the darkness, setting up traps, enticing us to sin, he is also the one who comes to us after we have sinned and says things like, are you sure you're a Christian? How can you be a Christian and do things like that and say things like that? He wants us to doubt our standing with God. He is the deceiver. He's the accuser. He's a liar. Peter also describes him as like a lion, prowling around, looking to devour prey that are unalert. He does this in a stealthy way. Like the lion on Discovery Channel, he's looking for any weakness which he can take advantage of. Satan seeks opportune times to pounce on us. When we least expect him to. He did this all the way back in the Garden of Eden. He came in the form of a serpent and deceived Adam and Eve through lies and deception, causing sin to spread to all mankind. Adam and Eve had the opportunity to be sober minded and watchful and resist him, but they didn't. How do you deal with the suffering? and temptations that come into your life? Are you aware that this enemy is seeking to devour you? Because we have this enemy, Peter explains that there are three things that we must do. Be sober-minded, be watchful, and resist him. We need to be sober-minded. When we hear that word sober, we think of not having too much alcohol, not being drunk, A drunk person cannot think straight. They make bad decisions. Peter's not only saying that believers should not get drunk, but also warning against things that can impair our thinking, can impair our sober-mindedness. When we go through trials and difficulties and sufferings, that can impair our thinking. When we get discouraged, we can lose sight of who God truly is. We can get caught up on social media, TV shows, sports, politics, and get drunk on the beliefs of this world. We need to be aware of the temptations and sin all around us and keep our minds clear. Be sober-minded. We also need to be watchful. We cannot become careless when everything seems to be going well for us, when we're not in a trial, we can drift, we can get lazy. Peter is telling us that we must stay alert and be suspicious of the constant danger from our spiritual enemy. Do you live watchfully? We must be aware of our adversary who desires to make us fall into sin, to believe lies about God and ultimately desires to devour us. Which means he wants us to reject God, to reject God's grace. And in verse 9, Peter points to the single resource that can make the devil flee. Look at verse 9. He says, resist him, firm in your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. The only way to resist Satan is to stand firm in your faith. There's some people out there who think that we can bind Satan by just saying, Satan, I bind you. I'm here this morning to tell you and to make super clear that that is dangerous and unbiblical. It underestimates Satan's power and it overestimates yours. The only power we have to resist Satan is when we stand firm in our faith, the faith that God gives to us. Standing firm in our faith is not putting strength into believing but it's drawing from the strength of what we believe. We can resist Satan when we hold fast to the gospel, when we are rooted in the gospel, because we have a Savior who has defeated Satan and enables us to say no to his temptations and lies. The great reformer of the church, Martin Luther, said this, When the devil throws sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit, I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Amen? Amen. We cling to the word of God. We believe in God's promises. We believe that Jesus Christ has victory over Satan, sin, and death. In Ephesians 6, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. God does not send us into battle against Satan without divine assistance because we need divine assistance. In fact, he dresses us in his own armor, the whole armor of God. We fight against the devil's lies and accusations with the truth of the gospel, believing that the cross of Christ brings peace and our salvation is secure. And James tells us in James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. When we resist and we submit ourselves to God and stand firm in his grace, the devil will flee from us. And we have this confidence that, God, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. His doom is sure. Amen? And then Peter continues by giving encouragement. Look again at verse 9. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Do you often feel alone in your suffering? It's comforting to know that our brothers and sisters in Christ, over in the Ukraine and Africa and China and all over the world, are experiencing the same kinds of suffering and have A common enemy. This reminds us that our problems are not unique and that our suffering is common among those who profess Christ and that we are not alone in our suffering. You're not alone in your suffering. What a comfort to know that you're not the only one facing whatever you're going through. And then Peter continues again with his encouragement, reminding us that our suffering is temporary. Look at verse 10. He writes, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Our suffering may seem like it has no end. but Here we are promised that our suffering will only be for a little while. When we consider our lives in comparison to eternity, suffering seems brief. Second Corinthians chapter four verse seventeen says, "For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison." You may be going through a serious trial right now, or know someone who is suffering. But what a comfort to know that while it may feel like it's taking forever, in the end, it will only feel like a little while, and it leads to a great eternal reward. Suffering here in this life is temporary. And then Peter draws our attention to the God of all grace. Look again at verse 10. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter is closing his letter the same way he began it, by focusing on God's grace. He is the God of all grace. Grace that can meet every need. Grace that can prevail in any situation. He is the God of pardoning grace who has saved us from our sins through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. He is the God of sanctifying grace, who refines and purifies us through various fiery trials. And he is the God of glorifying grace, who promises a future hope and inheritance in glory for those whom he has called. He is the God who saves us from start to finish. The sufferings of believers are intense, but God's grace is greater still. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In times of suffering and affliction, it's important to remember that we serve a God who sits on a throne of grace. And he provides help in times of need. All of us need to hear this message. We are all walking into this building with various burdens and sufferings. Some of us may be struggling because we're feeling the weight of sin on our shoulders. Maybe you have fallen into the trap of the enemy. Guess what? He is the God of all grace. Not just the God of some grace, but the God of all grace, who sits on a throne of grace, who will extend mercy and grace and help in times of need. And after we suffer for a little while, when we are on the new earth, or even sometimes in this life, God promises that he himself will restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The God who has called believers to eternal glory will strengthen and secure them so that they're able to endure to the end. He will fulfill his promise to save us and deliver us. And this helps us as we live life today and face the various trials that we are facing because what we believe about the future shapes how we live now. Suffering will not stop his transforming hand. Circumstances will not get in the way of his work to redeem. He will finish that work. He will restore. He will confirm. He will strengthen. He will establish his grace is sure, and he will not quit until the work is finished in your life. Peter, of course, knew the restoring power of God's grace because he experienced it after he denied Jesus. And as he reflects on the grace of God, he breaks out in worship. Look at verse 11. He writes, To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It almost sounds like that's the end of the letter. But he still has some, some other things to say. But he breaks out in worship because our God will sustain us in our sufferings and in our warfare with Satan because he reigns and he has all the power. It's not ultimately those who hold office in the government or the prowling devil who have dominion over the lives of those who are in Christ, the God of all grace, has dominion. At the time Peter wrote these words, it could have seemed like the dominion belonged to Rome. But the authority of Rome that existed in Peter's day doesn't exist today. It's gone. God's dominion is forever. It is the God of all grace who has the dominion in our times of suffering. He has the power, he has the authority over all things at all times, forever and ever. No power can come against his sovereign purposes. And so as we face suffering in the coming months and years, remember the God of all grace. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then Peter continues in verses 12 through 14 and says that we are called to stand firm in the grace of God, the true grace of God. When hardships, suffering, and trials come our way and try to knock us down, we must stand firm. Here in these last verses, Peter gives us some final greetings And then explanations. He says in verse 12 that it is by Silvanus. Which could either mean that Silvanus was the one who traveled to all these different places delivering this letter. Or that he was the one who wrote these words down as Peter spoke them. And then Peter explains to us what his letter is all about. He says, I have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of god stand firm in it peter says in this whole letter i've been telling you about the true grace of god peter writes to encourage and exhort these scattered people of god and says that they will face fiery trials but peter points to a sure hope in jesus christ the true grace of god The gospel is true. And Peter can verify its truth because Jesus chose him to be that witness. He was an apostle. The gospel is true. The gospel is the good news of the grace of God. The fact that Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree and now is at the right hand of God. The grace of God is what he has done for believers in Christ. And it's clearly seen in Jesus' death for sinners and his resurrection, which causes those who are spiritually dead to be born again. The true grace of God gives us new life. It leads us to have a living hope. It leads us to live holy lives, to do good deeds and not retaliate against those who come after us in hopes that God would convert them and that they would glorify God. The true grace of God transforms the way that we live in relation to the government, in relation to our places of work, in the home, and in the church. And Peter says, stand firm in this true grace of God. Those words, stand firm, give me this image of a tree in the midst of a storm, The reason why the tree will sway but not be ripped out of the ground is because its roots go deep and deep into the earth. And it can stand firm even in the stormiest weather. We must stand firm with our roots dug deep into the true grace of God. So even when you go through suffering and are attacked by the devil, Stand firm by walking in God's ways, depending on him moment by moment. When we are tempted to doubt him or to sin, cry out to him for his help, for his grace. And when you have sinned, repent and know that his grace abounds for us. Romans 5, 1-2 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We cling to the grace of God. Not what we have done for God, but what God has done for us. And then Peter also sends greetings in verse 13. He writes, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Most scholars agree that she who is at Babylon is in reference to the church at Rome. Peter references Babylon instead of saying Rome as a way to remind his readers that the church in Rome was in a similar situation. In the Old Testament, Babylon was a city where people were taken away, God's people were taken away to a place of exile. Babylon was exile. And so Peter is saying to those living as exiles in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, those who are at Rome are in exile as well. And the church sends greetings. And so does Mark who is not Peter's biological son, but his spiritual son, similar to what Timothy was for Paul. And then in verse 14, Peter tells them to greet one another with the kiss of love. So what do you think the application is? (laughs) Just kidding. Obviously, the cultural context of this letter is different from ours. We don't normally greet each other with Kisses, but we do express the same form of greeting in a handshake or a hug. There's this special thing that happens in this physical greeting towards a fellow believer. For the for a while in the COVID lockdowns, we weren't able to do this. I remember the first day I went to church and gave someone a handshake and gave them a hug and just thank God for that opportunity again. Let's not take those things for granted. We've been redeemed by grace and called into the family of God, and families greet one another in love. And I just want to take a moment, side note, let you know how encouraging it is to see you greet one another and serve one another. That's not the case in every church. When I invite people to Calvary, or tell them about this church, one of the first things I tell them, that is, you won't be able to leave our church without meeting a few members of our church. It's not one of those types of churches where you can come in and come out and no one talks to you. It's a blessing to see how God's word has shaped the way you greet one another. May we continue to grow in this and grow in our love and have deeper relationships with one another. And then Peter ends his letter in verse fourteen with, "Peace to all of you who are in Christ." This peace is grounded in the peace that Jesus, Jesus accomplished between God and man through His death. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, there is no lasting peace. Do you have peace with God? those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation do not have peace with God. You cannot earn this peace. No amount of good deeds can save you. It only comes through believing in the true grace of God that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Because if you do, and those who are believers here know we can face whatever storms come our way, knowing that the God of heaven is at peace with us and accepts us in Jesus Christ. And so as we conclude, how do we resist the roaring lion who prowls around trying to devour us? How do we live as Christians in a broken and hostile world. We stand firm in the grace of God and really believe that there's grace for every single situation that we face. Peter has written to us this precious letter that encourages us to hope in the Lord no matter what our circumstances are. Throughout the centuries, the church has experienced various fiery trials, and yet Satan has not been able to destroy it. All the suffering we go through in this life is worth it, because Jesus truly defeated sin and death. We know that we have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through his own suffering, Jesus has defeated evil, and calls us to follow in his path, first suffering and then glory. Therefore, stand firm in the true grace of God while you suffer only for a little while. Remember the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We endure suffering confidently and live for him because he has proved and provided such overwhelming, sustaining, eternal, and compelling grace for us. God's grace enables the Christian to endure suffering. Stand for a minute. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to spend these last couple of months in this letter by the Apostle Peter. We pray that you would help us to remember what you have taught us, that we would live faithful lives for you. As elect exiles in a world that is becoming more hostile towards those who follow Jesus. Lord, we confess that it's easy for us not to see the world for what it really is, to coast and to go about our day to day responsibilities, forgetting that there really is a God and there really is an enemy. Help us to recognize the spiritual war that is going on. Help us to not fight this battle in our own strength, but stand firm in your grace. In our trials, grant us patience. In our suffering, help us to be rooted in the true grace of God, trusting that you will help us to endure to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.